Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by J.J. Cooper. Hello everybody. J.J., the championship series matchups have been decided. The Red Sox beat the Yankees last night and uh, a finish that probably caused a few heart palpitations up in Boston. It, it, the thing I wondered as I was watching that and being able to watch that as a neutral party who was just enjoying it, not living or dying with it, um, the thing that really did stand out to me was if you're a Red Sox fan watching that, I have to assume, and feel free to tweet at us. I'm at JJCoop36. Uh, Kyle's at, at Kyle Glazer. Uh, Kyle A. Glazer. Kyle A. Glazer. Sorry, at Kyle A. Glazer if you disagree. But I have to imagine, like, if you were a Red Sox fan watching that in 2004 with the history of the last 100 years before that, it would have killed you. Um, whereas now, as much as it mattered, but having a history of the Red Sox actually coming through and winning those, and not the entire history being Bucky Dent and Bill Buckner and Aaron King, Boone. And, and, yes, and Aaron Boone, and, and the list goes on and on and on. It probably was at least a little bit more survivable in that ninth inning when. Let's be honest, if Gary Sanchez got just a little bit more of that ball, um, you know, it would have been, wow, that's a crushing defeat. But that was, to me, uh, again, I, I, I was happy, though, that that was a fascinating game because we had had a, a pretty, a, a game of non-compelling games on Monday. That game last night qualifies as compelling in a multitude of reasons. Um, but probably the most interesting of the decisions to analyze, though, was Chris Sale comes in in the eighth. And Kyle, what did you think about that? So I loved it. Going for the jugular, not messing around. You're in Yankee Stadium. You have a chance to close them out. I'm okay with it. And while we have had concerns about the Boston bullpen for a good chunk of the year, and reasonably so, you've already used Ryan Brazier, who has been your best reliever down the stretch. Um, Barnes and Workman at times have been, have been good this year. Uh, and Barnes was fine. And, and Barnes was fine. I'm all for it. You know what? That's you know. Normally, I I have mixed feelings about how teams mix in starters and whatnot during the postseason. There's times it's smart. There's times I don't think it's the wisest decision. Last night, loved it. Go for it. No problems at all. And I don't just say it because it worked. I loved it when it happened. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But in this case, it worked. I, and the funny thing is, is I was wrong. I mean, it worked. It, it clearly worked. But at the same time, I looked at it and I didn't want to do it. If to me. A couple of reasons. One, I know that Chris Sale was DL'd probably partly just to keep get him well-rested for the playoffs, but he was on the DL not that long ago. His velocity did tail off a little bit for a stretch. You know, they were still talking about it. I mean, everything is, is, no, this was his throw day, so we were looking at it as throw an inning, and then we'd still be available for game five. So it wasn't like they were throwing him away. But I, I just did not like the idea of, do it using him there. I wanted a rested, fresh Chris Sale. If you need him for game five, and again, I, I think 
you know, they did, it wasn't a one-run lead. It was something where I thought that they could probably get through. They probably could have gone with two innings of Matt Barnes before they went with Ryan Brazier, things like that that would have been a possibility. That said, again, I will, I will own it. I'm, you know, it, it worked. I, my, my first guess was wrong, and uh, it did work. When it works like that, the other thing it does do that works out really well for the Red Sox is by going for the jugular, by getting Chris Sale in there to finish it off, that was Chris Sale going one inning on his throw day. It means you're going to get more Chris Sale in the ALCS, potentially, than you would have if he'd have had to, if you'd not used him, if you'd have gone to a game five, if Chris Sale has to pitch game five, then all of a sudden you're going to be waiting quite a while before you can go back to Chris Sale in the ALCS. Instead, he throws one inning, and I don't know if it's going to be game one, you know, that they're really going to just treat that as a throw day, or if you say now, you know what, we're going to use you in game two. But either way, you're going to get a lot of Chris Sale in the ALCS. Again, it worked out well. I definitely didn't mind at all. And anything I kind of liked, you know, Alex Kors' usage a little bit, both in terms of brings Chris Sale in there, uh, you know, going out and pulling Rick Porcello out in relief as well earlier in the series. I'm okay with it, you know. And, and, and a lot of people, and this is kind of the other big thing everyone's talking about with this series is, Starting pitcher management, guys being pulled, you know, not early enough. At the end of the day, the Red Sox, for the most part, their starting pitchers, David Price excluded, went out and pitched well. And that makes the manager's decision a lot easier. And I think we can analyze pitcher, you know, uh, ma ma pitcher, starting pitcher management decisions. There we go, I can speak English. We can analyze them to the nth degree, but at the end of the day, the players pitch well and perform well. That's what's ultimately going to decide series more than anything else. And by and large, the Red Sox starting pitchers pitched really well this series. Again, David on Price the, excluded. And on the opposite side, the Yankees pitchers, starting pitchers, pitched terribly, horribly, awfully. Masahiro Tanaka was good. I, including him, though, who was good. Including him. I just did a back-of-the-napkin calculation here. 10.4 ERA for your Yankees starter for the series. Hap goes two innings, gives up five. Sabathia gives up three and three. Severino gives up six and three. Tanaka, the only one who pitched well. And I know what you're saying, but the reality is, is when we analyze it, the fun part of it is, is what could you do differently? And like saying to guys, pitch better is one that you can't, you know, but I did think that that with, with, with as bad as this starting rotation has been in the series, with it being a must-win game. I thought that they did give Sabathia too much rope yesterday, too many opportunities to see if he could get out of it. And I say that partly because when this series is over, knowing it went four games and looking and saying, oh, Aroldis Chapman threw two innings in the series. Oh, David Robson threw, threw two and two-thirds. You know, oh, again, they did use, you know, Britain they used pretty extensively, but they... The fear of wearing out that bullpen, I think in the end, and again, it was a very, very deep bullpen, the fear of wearing it out ended up meaning that they probably used it a little less than they should have. And I know that seems crazy when you consider that their starting pitchers only threw like 13 innings in four games, but their starting pitching was so bad that 14 inning, 13 innings in four games was more than they could have, uh, could have used because... They lost games before they ever turned to their to their first uh, you know reliever. Right? 
over and over. And again, I will agree with you though, I, you know, as we kind of transition this, so you know, we've been trying to kind of say little, you know, little eulogies for each team and kind of look ahead. The obvious thing, obvious thing with the Yankees is, is that they need, they need at least one more arm they can believe on, you know, believe in, in the starting rotation. Uh, you know, Luis Severino pitched poorly. You obviously count on Luis Severino. You're, you're, you're not, there's no part of this where you're saying he's not part of their plans. You're counting on him, hopefully being a front of the rotation starter. I, I do think, you know, Masahiro Tanaka, as you said, I mean, he's, he is very reliable. But, I mean, would you agree, Kyle, that they, in their offseason, they need, they need to figure out a way to keep some version of this pen together. But the other thing is, is they need to keep, they, they need another starter. Oh, there's no question about it. You know, CC Sabathia is a free agent after the season. Lance Lynn, who was acquired at the deadline, is a free agent at the end of the season. And they'll be okay with saying bye, Lance. You know, and Sonny Gray is our Belgeable. I mean, in theory, you can non-tender him. I don't think they will, but... Right, you, you still have this hope. Sonny Gray, at his, when he's good, is a part of the solution. When he's bad, he can't even make a postseason roster. It's, it, it's a rough go with him in that whole situation, but there's no question. You look at the Yankees, not just this year, but next year, what their rotation is going to look like compared to the Astros' rotation. Unless they make a bunch of moves, it's going to be lesser. Right now, the Red Sox starting rotation is a better rotation with Porcello, oh, with Sale. So if you're the Yankees, and look, you need a great bullpen to compete in the postseason, absolutely. They have a deep lineup that's great. The great teams have a balance of everything, and they are short on starting pitching. They need to make significant investments, whether it's in trades or free agency, to get their starting pitching up to the level of the other contenders by, in the American League. By the way, League. the guy that we have not mentioned in any of these podcasts that I would be interested to see if he is hits the market this uh, offseason, the Giants have never been a team that says, you know what, it's time to start over. However, they've also not been very good for a couple of years now. And if all of a sudden Madison Bumgarner's on the market, back up a truck of prospects if you want. You know, again, I, I would... It, it, if, if I was the Yankees or, you know, pick your team. If I was the Braves, if I pick your team, if you need a front-of-the-rotation starter, if Madison Bumgarner hits the trade market in the offseason, I'm very, very, very interested. I think they would be as well, and wisely so. I, I, I do think the Yankees are in a good place. They've made the postseason back-to-back -back years now. They've got this great young core uh, in the lineup. There's going to be ups and downs, as we've seen with guys like Gary Sanchez. Not everyone's going to be a stud every year, but there's good players. They still have a good system with some guys still coming up, the Justice Sheffields of the world. The Yankees should remain in contention. And a thousand guys who could throw 98-plus. I mean, like, I can't even keep track of all this, of them. This is not a eulogy for the Yankees' uh, era of competitiveness. just their eulogy for this year. They should be back, but if they want to ascend to the next level, they are going to have to improve this starting pitching. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, okay, so that takes us to the ALCS, which I, I do think times. it is the best ALCS. You know, this is the best matchup we could have had, obviously, because we have the defending. This is, again, nothing against the World Series, but this ALCS is the granddaddy, as I see it, of this, of this postseason because you have the 108-win Red Sox versus the defending champs, who I know they only won 103, and as Alex Bregman will point out to you, you know, hey, we had some injuries. If not, we would have won 100, and I think Alex thinks they would have won 145 you know, <laughs> if everyone was healthy. Uh, but, uh, but it is probably the best two teams in baseball over the course of this year facing off 
for a chance to go to the World Series. And not only is it that, but you also have strength on strength. The Red Sox offense led the majors in runs, total bases, average, on-base slugging, led in everything offensively. The Astros pitching staff led the majors in runs allowed, starting pitchers, ERA, bullpen, ERA, the best pitching staff in baseball, top to bottom. I love that. The strength-on-strength matchup, we have the elite, you have the elite on the other side. Let's go head-to-head and see what happens. That, to me, is the best of postseason baseball. I'm excited for this series. I think everyone with a pulse is excited for this series. If I you're not excited about this series, I don't know. You're, I don't know. Uh, you are, again, I understand there are fans of just a team. If you're a Yankees fan, it's like, man, I don't. I understand there's a hangover from that. But if you love baseball, this is as, this is as good as it gets. As you mentioned, defending champs versus the best team in baseball, record-wise, throughout this entire season. I have a hard time deciding, though, who the pick is. Because even when you take out, okay, this is we know the Red Sox offense is great, the Astros pitching is great. It's not like the Red Sox pitching and the Astros offense are black holes either. Both of these teams, no, they're quote-unquote, the, the, the quote-unquote lesser parts of their game, they're all still pretty much top five in the American League and everything. At the end of the day, the Astros and just seeing how healthy some of these guys are, seeing Carlos Correa hit that home run in game four was big because it has been a struggle. Jose Altuve's knee, we know it's bothering him, but he's still able to do some exciting things that can help you know, be a catalyst for that team. Again, part of me says you have to respect the fact that the Red Sox won 108 games. They have home field advantage. They're playing well. They just beat a very good Yankees team. We talk about all the Yankees' flaws. They were a 100-win team and a darn good team. I think you kind of have to tip your cap to the Red Sox for what they've done in regards to this season. But you're out of your mind if you think it's going to be a walkover. The Astros, for all the reasons you mentioned, and, and as well as just how good of a team they have, this is not an easy out. We saw a seven-game ALCS last year. Again, anything is possible, but if I just match it up on paper, I have a, I, I feel pretty confident saying we're headed for another seven-gamer. I mean, again, you know, obviously the, the, the thing that stands out to me is, is when I look at this, you're right. I mean, there's strength on strength. The, the weakest part of probably either of these teams, I would say, is probably the Red Sox bullpen, um, which we just talked about. Like, I, I do think... If you compare the Red Sox bullpen to the Astros bullpen in an era where bullpens really matter, the Astros are, I will put it this way, the Astros will likely leave relievers off of their roster for this series. As we saw them do in the division series. As they saw them in the division series, that would pitch the 6th or 7th for the, I wouldn't say the 8th or ninth, but the 6th or 7th for the Red Sox. Because that is, again, now the, the Astros' reality is, is the depth of their bullpen, having more pitchers than you can use, is kind of um, useless in some ways because, as we just said, you can't use them. Um, but the other thing is that I do feel like the Astros come into this a little stronger. Doesn't mean they're going to win it, but the other part of it is, is that we do have to wonder with David Price, okay, you know, when I say when we look at the starting pitching, is there a starting pitcher for the Astros who's going to take, take the ball in the series that you don't feel really good about? No. I will flip it. Is there a starting pitcher who's going to take the ball for the Red Sox in the series? that you don't feel all that confident about? Yes. That's a problem if you're the Red Sox. Now, again, if this was the Red Sox were the Astros or the Yankees or, you know, the Brewers, you would say, you know what, don't worry about that that much. If David Price gets in any trouble at all, yank him and go to a very deep pen. But again, that's not what the, that's not what the Red Sox have. So they're not in a position to basically treat that as, 
you know what? If we get David Price one through time through the order and he starts to get in trouble in the second time through, we're pulling him. If they did that, it kind of sets them up, messes them up for the rest of the series potentially. I will say, and, and you're right, the Astros have a better bullpen than the Red Sox. There's no argument against that. But the Red Sox bullpen, for all the issues they've had, they're still fourth in the American League this year. This was not a terrible bullpen. This was not a let's pour gasoline on everything and it all implodes. If they get out to an early lead, they can hold it, as we saw in the Red Sox series, in the Yankees series. Yeah. Sometimes they have to get creative. But again, Ryan Brazier had a good season. Workman had a, Brandon Workman had a good season. Matt Barnes had a good season. They're at various points, they've brought in guys like Bobby Pointer, Hector Velasquez, Craig Kimbrell, last night's heart attack aside, is still probably the best closer in the game or one of the best one closers. Of I, I, I was going to say, one of. Like, I know it's, it's one year, but like uh, I would say like, again, gonna, over, Ed, over the Diaz. totality, uh, yeah, Edwin Diaz in recent years, Aroldis Chapman still there. Like, he, he's, but in he's in the upper in that, echelon. No, yes, he's in that discussion. So, so again. We, we are po in the post-Rivera era where we don't have one guy that we can just turn to and say, yes, it's him. It's been him for 10 years. It's been him for 15 years. It's him. So, so again, the Red Sox... This is not, again, a terrible bullpen that is incapable of holding leads. And so, again, yes, is it a concern? Sure. I don't think it's a huge red flag See, but, beyond but red flags. That, again, what I'm talking about, though, is, is let's say that they are poised to have a quick hook with David Price. Oh, it'll be problematic. Don't get me wrong. Say, whereas if the Astros have to have a quick hook with Dallas Keuchel, I look at it and say, they'll be ready the next day and it won't be a problem at all. And that's where I come into, again, when we talk about a series where the edges are going to be minor because these are two outstanding teams, that to me, and the interesting thing about this is, is again, Dave Dombrowski has done a great job. Uh, you know, again, they won 108 games. That said, one of the things that's always kind of been a, a, a through point of the Dave Dombrowski teams, not just in Boston, but going back into previous regimes, is their bullpens are, are not, you know, usually strengths of the team. And I don't know if that's a, a conscious decision or if that's just how it works out. But, again, that is where I do think, if I said, where is there the biggest edge in this series? Uh, the, that's where I think the biggest edge is, is Astros bullpen versus Red Sox bullpen. And that's very fair. I will say, you know, and you mentioned the David Price scenario. The Red Sox did just live it, where they had to go through it, and they bounced back nicely from it. So right, they just we know, took the L. We, we, just... we, know, we know they're capable of yes. surviving it. Oh, absolutely. And again, there is the, also the idea that you may go into this and say in that game, let's say, again, let's say that Chris Sale goes game one and gets a, gets a W, and let's say David Price goes in game two. You may say, you know what? No, we're going to ride with David Price. And again, let's also make clear, David Price could go out there and also you go, Wow, he just shoved for seven innings. I mean, he's... I think he would stun all of Red Sox Nation if he did it. But, but the reality but is, it, is this is not a guy, this is not saying, wow, I didn't know that Lance Lynn had that in him. This is David Price, who has shoved in the playoffs before, even if Red Sox fans understandably are like, wait, he did? No, he really did. Well, Red Sox fans in particular probably remember it. Yes. But, yes. But, you know, um, but so the reality of it is, is he could, or again, if they can get out, the, the reality is, is you also again, like they did in that series, is you can also say, okay, we can take the L in that one, we can still win the series. You gotta win four, okay, you, you, you can lose one, two, or you know, even three. So we can break it down any which way. The slightest of edges are gonna make a difference. At the end of the day, who you got? I'll say Astros. And I'm, I'm saying this not just to be a contrarian, 
I'm I'm going to go Red Sox. Um, again, that has nothing to do yeah, with well, the Astros and any perceived weaknesses there. I just have a lot of respect for a team that 108 wins, just went in, you know, one-one Yankee Stadium, want a blowout, want a close game. They've got a relentless offense, especially if Christian Vasquez is hitting home runs. Now it was a Yankees home, stadium home run; it wasn't a real home run, but it counts just the same. I think this is a really, really good team. I think they're firing on all the right cylinders. They got home field advantage. I'll be curious to see how cold it gets, if it gets that much, if it gets cold at all toward the end of the series. I haven't checked the Boston weather forecast. I know it wasn't an issue uh, in the Northeast the last couple days, but you never know what uh, next week holds. I'm going to pick the Red Sox, but I say that in like a set, six or seven game series. I don't see this going anywhere close to a sweep. Or do you, with oh, the I Astros? agree. Yeah, I don't. I would. I would say Astros, but again, I'm not even comfortable projecting. Again, this is as Billy Bean is want to note. You know, it is. A, it is there, the variability in a playoffs. We, if you wanted to determine, hey, we're going to award it, and we're want to feel confident that the best team wins, you would do what they do in soccer in Europe, and you'd say there are no playoffs. Congratulations, Red Sox! You won 108. Here is your trophy. Or, or, or what they did, uh, at least in terms of uh, the American National League for years. Hey, number one record, go to the World Series. Right. You would do that, but this is a lot more fun when we actually have you know a, a month of this where we play with it, and you'll see where it goes. But you know, again, like that's it is. There is no doubt that this could go either way. I will say before we jump into NLCS, I kind of was researching this last night just because I'm interested in stuff like this. We talk about the variability of a playoff series, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say this might mean a ton. I thought it was interesting that the better team with the better record won all four division series this year. The last three years, we've actually seen the team with the better record fare pretty well. They've won eight of the last 12 division series. That after this stretch where having the better record in the division, in the in the regular season not only meant nothing, it was almost seemed like it was a death knell at some parts. Teams with the better record were 7-13 and 13 in division series from 2011 to 2015. 7-13. and 13. That, 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 Again, that doesn't shock right. me because, again, we are talking about, especially in division and series, five-game series. Five-game series, you know. But recently, again, I, thought, I did think it was interesting that this year, team with the better record won every series, and the last three years we have seen it go that way significantly more often than not. All right, now to, uh, not to insult Dodgers or Brewers fans, but now to the undercard, if right, you will. Right, well, again, okay, every team in here that has won 108 games, raise your hand, okay? Any, any team in this series has won 103 games, raise your hand. Okay, we're still here. Let's, now let's go talk about the uh, NLCS. I thought it was interesting because I posited to you on the podcast yesterday whether or not the Brewers were really the National League favorites now based on what they showed against the Rockies. And a lot of uh, angry uh, Wisconsinites on Twitter were saying, it's not even a question. They've won 93 games. They have home field. This is the best team in the National League. I still have some skepticisms. When, I, when you break it down, the Dodgers outperformed the Brewers for all the issues the Dodgers had this season, all their injuries, all the drama, all the blown leads out of the bullpen. When you break it down, the Dodgers led the NL in runs scored. The Dodgers led the NL in runs allowed. The Dodgers led the National League in starters ERA. The Dodgers led in home runs. The Dodgers led in total bases. In almost every category, the Dodgers not only beat the Brewers pretty handily, but led the entire National League for all the drama they had. And as much as the Brewers 
bullpen deservedly gets all the plaudits, the Dodgers are still a top five bullpen in the National League. So for me, even though the Brewers have home field, and even though the Brewers have more wins in the regular season, 93 versus 92, given everything that happened with the tiebreakers, I still think the Dodgers are a better team. I've said this for a while. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. And I just break it down by how they performed over the course of the season. The Dodgers take the cake against the Brewers in pretty much every category. Well, I, the thing I would say is, is that the Dodgers, and it almost came back to bite them, but it didn't. The Dodgers play a long game. And what I mean by that is, is that we've seen it for multiple years. They treat the regular season. They have an eye on the playoffs. Guys go on the DL for, I put air quotes up there, injuries. Although this year a lot of them were real injuries. Right. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying they don't have real injuries too. But they, they are going to throw a number of starting pitchers out there partly because the viewpoint is, is that they're, not going to wear, they're going to try to not to wear anyone out. They're going to try to keep everyone fresh. They very much view it as that they have guys who they would much rather get 20 really good starts than 32, and it's like, man, 10 of those were not very good. When it comes to the depth of their lineup, this is a team where, I, I mean, the reality of it is, is, okay, I'll say Manny, Manny Machado, but other than that, who, Justin Turner, who was hurt for much of the year, they, if they had an injury come up during the, uh, you know, during the, Again, we'll note, they've already lost Corey Seager for the season. But if they had an injury come up during the NLCS, this is not a team like where you say, oh, okay, how are they going to handle that? They have a Four plan B options, or a plan C at almost every position. Where, with now again, the Brewers have some depth too, but if the Brewers, if something happened to Yelich or Kane in this series, you would go, okay, their chances of with this winning the series just dropped significantly. I don't think I can say that about Justin Turner. I don't think I can say that about Cody Bellinger. I don't think I can say that about Yaziel Puig. I don't think I can say that about Max Muncy. I will say this for Turner, as I've said on this podcast for three years, ever since you hired me. The Dodgers go as Justin Turner goes, and having him does make a significant difference. But yes, your overall point is well taken, that they have a number of guys that can plug in at a number of spots, more so than really any other team in baseball. And that served them well over the course of the season. That served them well against the Braves. Again, this is not about disrespecting the Brewers. No. This is a really good team. You can't win 93 games and have home field in the National League and then sweep your division series against a really good pitching staff if you're not a really good team. And they are. I just, you know, to me, it's not as clear-cut as, oh, the Brewers are the best team in the National League. I, I don't think that's true. I, there will be others who disagree with me. That's me stating an opinion. I'm not banging the table, no. declaring it grand fact of facts. But I still look at this, and, and we talk about the American League and the Red Sox-Astros being close. I have a little more confidence in picking the Dodgers to win this series than I do either the Red Sox or the Astros in the American League. But that's just me. If the Brewers win this, we are going to talk again. If you said, like, if the Dodgers win this series, one of the things that happens every year in the playoffs is, is we look at what trends are amplified by what teams do in the playoffs. Because understandably, teams look at teams that have success, and then they kind of take some of those ideas. If the Brewers win this series and make it to the World Series, even if they lose the World Series, if, but they make it there, then 
I do think that will be that the story of this year is, is how a great bullpen. And again, their starting pitching, as you've noted, is not bad. But that would be how a great bullpen can get you there in 2018. Because if the Brewers are going to win this series, we are going to be talking a lot about that bullpen. Because, again, what they are really what you are talking about to me with Milwaukee is, is you're trying to get a lead. If you get to the fifth with a lead, if it's kind of like a, a, a receiver, you know, on a, you know, with a cornerback, and he's like, if I'm even, I'm leaving. If they're even in the fifth, you feel like, okay, you know, they've really got a chance. And if they have a lead as you get out of the fifth inning, then you're like, okay, how are the Dodgers are really good, but it's going to be really hard to score against Josh Hader and Jeffrey Jefferson. and all Jeremy those Jefferson. guys. Joaquin so, Soria has been fine. No, there's no question. I, the Brewers have the opportunity to shorten games. And that is huge, 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 huge. And a lot of this will be incumbent on the Dodgers being able to get an early lead, as we saw them do in the couple of the games against the Braves. One of the things to me that I think will actually be one of the keys here, I kind of broke it down. The Brewers are actually, we've talked about their offense. It's been much better since the trade deadline. The additions they made did make a big difference, Mike Moustakas in particular. As an offense, the Brewers are actually top 10 in the majors against right-handed pitching. Against lefties, they're 17th. This is a below-average offense against left-handed and pitchers. And the Dodgers are going to be throwing Clayton Kershaw, Hunjin Ryu, and Rich Hill in their starting yes. rotation. That, to me, is a matchup more than any other matchup in this series that will determine something. Again, I'm not going to sit here and claim myself Grand Poobah. Right, right, I've been right, wrong saying, before. Right, but, Anything but it is happen. a valid thing to watch, which is, is that... If you're a team that's better against righties, Dodgers are not who you want to face because the Dodgers are not going to give you a whole lot of right-handed starters. The Dodgers, meanwhile, their problems with left-handed pitching have been well documented. The acquisition of Machado and Dozier and David Freese at the trade deadline did a lot to help rectify those. But again, the Brewers staff, again, they can throw Wade Miley at you, and they obviously have Josh Hader there at the end, but their arms are overwhelmingly right-handed. Mm -hmm. And I, I just... For me, the matchup, the way these two teams match up with each other, to me, it's a Dodgers edge. I'm going Dodgers in five. I'm going to go Dodgers as well, although, again, I'm, I'm not confident on games because I feel like I'm just throwing darts. But I'll say Dodgers oh, as this, well. Yeah. When you're throwing games, yeah, don't darts, but hey, I'm stepping out on the ledge. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'll be I'm being decisive. Yeah, so, well, there we go. So you got a repeat, Astros Dodgers World Series. I do. I do have an Astros Dodger World Series, which, uh, you know, it, I, and again, I think the Astros would be heavier favorites this time if that happens than it was last time. But it was a great series last time. If we have a repeat of that, that was, you know, again, as a baseball fan, I, I will take it. That was a great series. Hey, you know, I actually. And got... I would love to see, now let me make clear, I would love to see the Brewers. If you said, I'm going into this, <laughs> one thing about working kind of on the fringes of the game like we do, we have friends. You know, we, I have former co-workers, you know, involved, like, okay, you know, well, good luck to the Indians. You know, we have co-workers who work, you know, we, you know, Kevin Goldstein works for the Astros. Alan Matthews works for the Dodgers. We have, you know, we have people who have legitimate, like, they're getting rings, ties to, uh, you know, to multiple of these teams. That said, as a baseball fan, I would love to see the Brewers win the World Series just from the standpoint of, like, again, we talk about the Dodgers, okay, I know they haven't won one in quite a while, but this is one of the grand franchises of baseball. 
plenty of long-term success, was in the World Series last year. We talk about the Red Sox. I Let's be honest, you know, Massachusetts, New England, they've had a lot of success lately. They're not starved for a, you know, for a World Series. Houston already won one last year. Whereas when you go to Milwaukee and then you say, okay, so you're, you're talking, you have to go along. You know, this right now, if they got swept by the Dodgers, this is the, at worst, the third best season in Brewers history. And you can throw in, if you throw in the Milwaukee Braves in there as well, they're getting into rarefied air already. So again, there is a part of it where I would love to see the Brewers because this, I love, you know, that this would be a team that would have a fan base who's celebrating a World Series where, much like we talked about with the Royals a few years ago, it would seem improbable in many years that they would ever get the chance to do this. The Brewers have never won a World Series. They've only been once, 1982. The last time there was a championship in Milwaukee, you mentioned it, the Milwaukee Braves in 1957. When uh, great, great, great lineup. Couple, by the couple way, couple guys named Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews were in the middle. Hank lineup. Aaron, Eddie Matthews, Warren Spahn. That was Johnny you know, Sane. Johnny Sane, Spahn, the same. Pray for rain. That I mean, that is um, that's an uh, Adcock, team. who was a, a you know like uh, is is one of those guys who it. You probably, I know that most people uh, who are listening to this probably can't even remember his name, but uh, they had some other guys who you look back on, you're like, oh, that guy was really good, but he wasn't in that Hall of Fame caliber. It was Wes Covington was a good player. Del Crandall was a good player. There's some, there's some good players on here. You had Red Shane Deanst, the uh, at the end of his playing career, future Cardinals manager. This was a good team. Joe Adcock, Andy Pafko. I mean... Yeah, there's some there's some very very good but players on this team. That's a perfect way to wrap it up. We will we're going to try to have a prospect podcast tomorrow because we'll have an off day for the playoffs. Uh, we have Josh Norris is in uh, Arizona for you know at the Arizona Fall League. And you can join me on Friday. I'll have an interview with Rockies farm director Zach Wilson. Talk awesome. a little bit about how uh, the Rockies how were the team that had the most homegrown players on any postseason roster this year and how they learned to develop pitchers successfully and, in Coors Field for Coors Field. And if you haven't listened to it, do go back to uh, a slightly sleepy uh, you know Kyle. You know we joked about it. You know like oh, you're, last you're, week I was so tired. But uh, but uh, uh, slightly sleepy Kyle with uh, Nate Horowitz the. Uh, Angels Pro Scouting Director on last week's Friday podcast. So there's a lot of, you know, Kyle's doing a really good job setting up some really good interviews for this with people that you would definitely want to hear from inside the game. So, well, that'll do it for this edition do, of a playoff podcast. Oh, yes, yes I do want to remind you as oh, yes. you know, we want to talk about we got the Baseball America books. You know, it is book season coming up. Um, the first book that will be out, the one that you have not seen before, is Before They Were Stars. You can go to baseballamerica.com right now, click on books, you can pre order it. It is a book that will take you through scouting reports from the minor leagues, or in some cases, college baseball or high school baseball, but mainly the minor leagues, for stars of the game. And when we say stars, we're talking about Vladimir Guerrero Sr. and Chipper Jones and Derek Ramon, Jeter. You know, Pedro Martinez, Derek Jeter. And again, you're reading these reports. There's a lot of fascinating stuff in there that you will, even if you know baseball really well, you probably do not know because understandably, it gets lost. And when you talk about a big leaguer, but it's the things that are the, the little nuggets about you know, their college career or how actually they were looked at as you know, both a pitcher and a hitter or like with Larry Walker, like how, yes, he is one of the great right fielders you know, of, the, of the 21st century. You know, and we'll, you know, but, you know, and going back to, you know, but at the same time when he was coming up with the Expos, they were trying to figure out a position for him because he was an infielder. 
things like that that are all kind of fascinating. Um, so we really do think you'll enjoy it. Before They Were Stars, go to BaseballAmerica.com, click on books, and uh, you can pre-order that now. It'll be out, uh, I believe, late November. Makes for a great Christmas gift yep. and uh, should be a lot of fun. Well, that'll wrap up another edition of the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. For J.J. Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. So long. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.